Hello, my name is Kadra and welcome to the Civil Society Futures podcast. I'm here with Voices That Shake as part of the Inquiries Youth Strand. So if you guys can introduce yourselves and tell me a bit more about Voices That Shake. Hi, Voices That Shake is a arts education programme focusing on race, media, art and power. Yeah, for me, social change is, you know, people coming back, coming together to make a difference. Like I mean, you said about, um, oh, what was it that you said about like trusting your MPs and things like that and trusting the people that are supposed to be there for you. Like, yeah, I want to be able to say, look, I voted. Because what, what is yeah. happening now is that, yeah, people, not only are people saying, I'm not going to vote for you again, mm. they're just not voting at all mm-hmm. again. And that's more worrying, I think. If if it was like, oh yeah, you're in power and you didn't do this, so you know what, I'm not going to vote for you next time, I'm going to vote for your opposition. I think that would still show, like, obviously people still engaging with the system that is there. But when people are just saying, you know what, I'm never going to vote again, then it's, do you know what I mean? That's that's really sad because it just shows just how much the system and the um, society has failed the people it's mm. supposed to be helping. Mm. There needs to be like a complete and utter change, like an extreme change, even if it, like I said, like a revolution type thing. Mm. But it then, it kind of, when you look back in history, like it's like, what was society? Because even back then, society had problems. then. Society is everyone, you know, the elders, you know, there's respect, there's love, and it's all unconditional. Whereas here it's like, oh, again, who can you trust? Do you trust this person? You know, oh, who did you vote for? <laughs> you know, things like that. So is it having to go back and think it and think about kind of like an ancestral thing? What did they value? What did they class as history? Um, not history, society, mm-hmm. you know? You mentioned the like democratic process, like and people perhaps not voting because they've been disappointed. When you like think about young people in particular, like last summer there's apparently loads of young people voting. Mm. Do you think that's gonna continue or do you think that was almost like a that was it, yeah. A surge and then it, it's kinda of died down again? Like what would you say your friends who are similar ages, are they still politically engaged? Do you think there was a shift? <clears throat> it just seems to me that every time youth engage it never goes the, our way. Mm-hmm. Like mm. a lot of the youth engagement was for Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. Exactly. He didn't get elected. The last time that I had that I saw something that where loads of young people got engaged was when um, the elections for the student finance. I mean the tuition, tuition fees, mm. and everyone vote, went out and voted for the Liberal Democrats. Mm. And for me, that was like even when I think about it, it's still like a knife getting twisted <laughs> yeah. in my chest because so many people actually put their faith for that first time. So many people first time voters, they thought, you know what? this I'm definitely going to change. And it's not only that, you know, the Lib Dems didn't do what they said they were going to do. They then went back and actually raised tuition fees. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it just feels like such a betrayal. Like, I used to be very politically active. I ran for election once. Um, and I, you know, really believed in the system. And I really, you know, but it just, it feels unfortunate that every time young people are getting involved, it's not going our way. Um, so I hope that, again, when the next surge happens, then actually it will go our way for once. What I see a lot, like actually every single person in this space, is they might not be engaging in political systems, but a lot of what they do and embody is inherently political. Uh, we just had two two weekends of a course, and one of the young people there, Annie Roxon, was talking about how do we not just like move through the world resisting, but actually 
build alternatives, alternatives. Mm. and a lo- you know everyone here is an artist of some form mm. and is contributing in their own right to creating the world and claiming a stake in it and it might not be seen as activism sure. or political participation because to a degree they also sh- those systems have failed them as Kathy highlighted mm. um, but what they're doing is very very necessary because they're claiming the world and I see really exciting things like the conversations around gender and sexuality as part of race conversations that intersectional analysis and conversations that come out from young people who push like we hear you know I was with an elder yesterday who was referring to um, accepting non-binary folk and using the word they for the first time Mm. and and young people have helped engineer that space Mm. of course we're building on the legacies of so many other elders who have done that but I think that there's there's ways in which people are participating and expanding out and I think that's that is social change social change is expanding out what it means to be human and doing that um, in a way that might not be seen as political but actually really really is and um, and it has to be valued because a lot of people are risking lives to do that they're also mm. not being paid it might never be seen as activism but it's gonna build towards a world where the values have changed from like actually only existing in binaries or only living in social constructs coming undone and that's a really really powerful space I think and um, I guess in terms of youth engagement moving away from the political sense like do you think there's room for youth engagement within civil society within the charity sector to almost support that social change do you feel like perhaps large charitable organisations are doing enough to engage young people no No. (laughs) because I feel like charities especially when it comes to TV they feed into stereotypes Mm. so they're just going to do that with the youth like I don't know Red Cross you know when they go to places like Africa and you know there's the child that's starving Mm. and they're living in a mud hut and you go to Africa and it's thriving it's Mm. beautiful you know people have got rivers over their heads everyone's wearing clothes everyone's got enough food to eat but it's you have to think of it as everywhere everywhere's gonna have poverty even here we have poverty but to zone in on that one on that one aspect of it and then people with closed minds, that's what they think. And that's when it, it turns into a thing of, it becomes toxic. Because when people start talking about immigrants and things like that, that's the one thing that they're gonna think of. Because I see so many like institutions and different um, different organizations like wanting to include young people, wanting to include women, wanting to include people of color, or especially women of color. It's just to like, who's benefiting? Sometimes it seems like it's to like prop up the organization mm-hmm. and give them a bit of clout because it's very fashionable yeah. to have mm-hmm. women of color. Yeah, <laughs> for real. On the head. Yeah. At the moment, so why would they be using youth? If we already discussed before about how we don't want, but not we don't want, but if charities didn't have to exist in the future, that would be like a um, a good dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, yeah, why like why would they not use them? Why would we want it? Like, with the whole like kind of political like situation now as a young person you can't really see like as you were saying about um how like the brexit vote how it went the 
like other way yeah um from what even though a lot of youth participated in i feel like having not seeing yourself in a system that is that you're going that's going to affect you in the future um that same kind of like thought like in charities there it doesn't look like there's a place for youth in there so i don't really see how we can engage or how they can try and engage us because it doesn't seem like it's benefiting anyone in the long term the only thing i can see is um charities engaging youth to kind of do more charitable things and like volunteering Mm. and things like that or things like um social action projects or that's yeah that's about that's the way i see but again it's very wary of you know everyone trying to do what's the what's the thing um their social impact quota Mm. or something like Mm. that like no one wants to be a statistic or a box ticking exercise for anybody do you know what i mean like it's all about like is this genuine is this coming from a good place and sometimes because i have a bit of to be fair like i have a bit of leeway for stuff like that because i kind of think you know what even if they're just putting me in a role because i'm a black female i'm gonna smash the heck out of that role and i'm gonna do it well do you know what i mean or if it's that they're trying to do something charitable just to be seen to be charitable the money is still going to those people who need it so some of i think you know what, no matter what their reason is, even if they're trying to look good, as long as people's lives will still be impacted and things like that. But I don't think it's a good model for the future because, yeah. do you know what I mean? You can't, that's not sustainable, just doing it. When, when you don't need to fulfill that quota anymore, yeah. are you just going to stop all the charity? You can't using the same card. Yeah. You really can't. It's only beneficiary, like, on a one-time, on one, it's a one-time thing. Mm. You know, even when it comes to women of colour in the movie industry, in the film industry, they get given roles and it's like, you're playing into a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they play the heck out of the stereotype. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then even then, they try and flip it on its head. So it's like, you know, what do you do? Do you stay in the box or do you stay kind of in the box and kind of go out the box, you know? It's one of those things. So I guess to, in that social change, perhaps you guys are saying you wouldn't, charity wouldn't be the first port of call. Maybe mm. you wouldn't go there. Mm. It's all about trust again, like if you trust the organization or, or what charity you're talking about mm-hmm. yeah. it's like you have to ease yourself in wait until you have all the information but then obviously you start to get along you have to find careers and stuff it's, it's um difficult to navigate one of the reasons i love and i think anyone will say that love working with young people is they're honest they have you know like young people like their, their gps system internally is just like no bullshit and i think if these char- charities and organizations are really committed to change then you can't see young people as like an add-on yeah. they're not the outreach thing they're actually valuable and integral young people aren't something you add on to and that's why i think i've been like over the years through shake and other youth projects like stopped using this phrase of like children are the future because they're not that means you've kept today for yourself mm-hmm. actually the right they're the right now our elders are yeah. the right now our young people are it's a holistic system where everyone yes. is included equal mm-hmm. yeah. and it's not the capital list model where you're useful when you can start working and being in the machine mm-hmm. and you stop being useful when you've stopped being part of the machine mm-hmm. so young and old mm-hmm. and i think already you can see everyone in this room the, the level of insight is like these are people we should be led by mm-hmm. and and the fact that we have to have that conversation are you useful are they is is quite alarming and mm-hmm. terrifying 
tell us about a time you felt powerless. When my mum, myself and my younger brother got caught up in the system mm-hmm. by uh, social services, that was the worst time ever. Because I was so confused and so wrapped up in everything. It was so hard to, you know, say what I wanted to say because of fear I was going to get taken away mm-hmm. from my mum or taken away from my family completely or separated from my younger brother. And it's just so... It, it kind of still bites at me today, but obviously I've made my peace with it. But it's something that is like takes all the energy out of you and all the like what you all the things that make you you mm-hmm. it just snatches it just like mm-hmm. that and um yeah it's not happening anymore but that's one point where i felt absolutely powerless and times at school as well i think it's in situations of like violation when you've been dehumanized the the part that makes me feel powerless is when you go to somebody to um talk to them about it and if you don't get that like accountability and validation that is when you feel most powerless because mm-hmm. like, you have no agency and like nothing do. can be done mm-hmm. um whereas if you do like find that support network mm-hmm. of people who a they can like be a good sounding board but b if there are ways that n- nowadays there are more ways that you can like move forward and make things happen rather than um always having to not just complain because it's, it's really important that you talk about these things um but also to like combat them happening and to bring awareness to them yeah. the more knowledge you have and then like for example if if people who are stopped and searched or stopped by the police if they do know their rights and they still yeah that's yeah. even more like you feel more powerless because yeah. it's like all this that i know i'm what was still it for? being dehumanized yeah mm-hmm. That really shows that like you have no agency. I think what you said, Georgia, about the um, the social services and stuff is so important because, like, when you think personally and professionally, when you think of like how much you, Kathy, you're so good at when you talked about like the eye culture, everything is separated out, mm-hmm. and when such important decisions about your life that are like health and mental health and physical health and people's like actual humanity and dignity like are in the hands of like housing officers and sure. you know the like, local yeah. council and all these people and you're mm-hmm. waiting for a to make a decision about b and because it's about their job yeah it's them you know yeah. what am i going to do to get this promotion i'll, I'll split this family up yeah. but they don't have the mean, means to move oh well you're going out on the street yeah your whole life has been spread out but then on top of that you're like it's such basic things it's like being able to like have you know something prepared or you know receiving a letter or being signed off by a so then b and the fact that your life can be in this kind of bureaucratic model system and that you are part of that in really fragile times because if you think about people who are engaging with the state and state services are also people who are vulnerable to it who don't maybe have the financial means to protect themselves I think that even after that once you disengage because you realise that it's harmful to you you're then called hard to reach difficult manipulative you're a bad witness you don't give information that's funny you say that because I remember um, they they have to write down everything every time they came to visit they wrote down everything Mm. 
but from body language to yeah. what I said mm. to me picking my nails right now yeah. and um, I must have said something they asked me a question and I must have turned around and said well you're part of the problem I sat there and I looked at the woman in the eyes and I said you're part of the problem and I'm not a snitch so don't expect me to sit here and be in tears about it because I've had enough we've mm. all had enough of it and to, but this was when I was going through my GCSEs so I was at the point I was at the peak of just popping off for anyone and everyone you know and I was just like you're part of the problem and I'm not a snitch so that's it this is done and she wrote she wrote it down in the thing and then she said you could be obstructing an investigation I said you're obstructing you're obstructing me from living my life mm-hmm. and I walked out some of the young people you've spoken to have said that they feel like at school they're not taught enough life skills. You are yeah. not at all. So particularly like when you're having to deal with these really difficult yeah. things, there's a lot of people who are young people who are carers who have to deal with yeah. the state mm. and who have to rely on their on their own mm. knowledge yeah. or their own ability to seek that knowledge, and mm. it's really stressful. And also, you you know, you're, you're a young, young person, yeah. <laughs> and you're probably doing you know your exams and mm. all that kind of stuff. You've got a lot going on. Would you guys say that 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 you maybe felt that school was a place where you could seek some of that knowledge no, or help not at all. Or teachers or... to a point because I learned obviously I learned more about trust but I also learned more about how messed up the education system is in this country like I said before I'm looking for a job now but back then they wouldn't even tell you I don't even know how a check works or mm. I don't know how I don't even know it's how exists. a bank account exactly mm. like it's what it's is it all like can you tell me because mm. it's like when I go to when I do decide to go to the bank and open out an account and the person the bank teller is looking at me like she don't know me from Adam and Eve it really can knock you it knocks you for six it really does and you can't tell your teachers about it because again you might get taken into care mm. exactly. like we used to have teachers who would threaten like you know you know like not threaten explicitly but like make examples of people like showing that oh this person is experiencing neglect their parents are bad parents and those kinds of things like you know because you have these kind of teach first teachers people Mm. with outside of our ends who you know then are like you any excuse and you're so afraid Mm. so you're not going to go to your teacher you're going to um it's not where you'd go you'd actually go to your community your neighbor those people like you see teachers um, getting onto students for their hair, the way they behave, the way they act. They want them to like shave off all their sides for them to become something they're not, just exactly. to like pass through the like education system. And it doesn't make sense because when they go out there into the world, you're not going to be like telling them what to do or like helping them, holding their hands, like, it's just a thing for them to go through the system so they become a statistic, they get the grades, or they don't get the grades and you were never supporting them in the first place, or they're on the verge of getting the grades and you help them, like, pass through, but after that, what do you do? You haven't given them any life skills, you haven't helped them find any opportunities for them to, like, progress if if they don't want to, like, go to university, for example, or um, go on to further um, education. Some schools in my area had like, metal detectors. Yeah. Metal detectors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they yeah. like pick out a, a kid in class and say, "Okay, you I'll have a random check of you." And then you have prevent as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just another layer of surveillance. Mm-hmm. 
Will there be a statue of your honour? Why? <laughs> yeah, I thought this was an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's very funny. colonial. Yeah, it's very colonial. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Prop up myself. <laughs> this. Um, I don't think there will be. Um, I was really thinking about this one. Because mm. I don't think I'm palatable enough. I feel like with everyone, <laughs> I feel like with everyone who has a statue of them, they've okay, so they've done something like great, they've done something amazing, but also they they fit into like what the people who hold power want everyone to believe. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, even I was thinking of all like the colonial people who like ravaged the world, and obviously they did some great things, but like they fit into like a narrative for example if you look at martin luther king um he like did amazing things civil rights movement all of that he still is palatable to like people in power like he led um, peaceful protests it's interesting as well because there's a lot of people who weren't palatable like you have the suffragettes here like Mm. i don't know which one it is whoops but um there's a statue of her now Oh, yeah, um, Emily Baker. Um, and there's also one of Nelson Mandela. In, I was going to mention him in the South Bank Centre. But both of those people were described as terrorists by the government mm, yeah. at some point. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, they might not be, you know, they might be palatable now, but mm. in the past they weren't. So that's an interesting. That's true. Yeah. And I was going to ask, like, who decides? Like, when, when, who yeah, decided exactly. when Nelson Mandela became yeah, exactly. a hero? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When did that shift happen? I was just thinking, I didn't even know. Mm. I find like that's the kit, like. Even if I did do something good, I wouldn't want to, there to be a statue of me because it's like materialistic. People who, like you were saying, the whole palatable thing, it's like there was a statue up in America of a man who was like a doctor and people had did their research and they found out that he actually used to um, take black women and, you know, Jennings. Yeah, mm. and you know, yeah. fuck up their whole uh, immune system, mm. and they end. I think they ended up taking it down in the end. But it's like, who decides when that because person became a hero? Because now we know what we know. It's like that's not heroic, mm. but back then apparently it was. Mm. When I think of what a statue means for me, it's like not really anything. Like nothing good it's just like a way to take up space and be like i own this land i own mm. this i have discovered these countries mm. and more times than not like people they're not the people aren't even alive in in the in their minds if if i want to be remembered for anything like i'd like it to be like work i want to be like alive in people's minds rather than a statue yeah that people don't even know what it's I for that's why every day exactly other people they don't know who, who it is in the statue or they think that it's somebody great when really they've done some mm. some They're mad trash. stuff. In the past. <laughs> They're exactly. trash. It's so trash. a bit redundant to me. Yeah, my dad took me and my mum to Ghana, mm. and um, we look we saw the slave forts and everything like that, and it's just obviously very visceral and very you know painful stuff. Mm. Uh, by the end, it's like you know yourself, you know you know your roots, and you know. And that's how you pay your respects as well mm. by going back and learning and remembering mm. not too much but to the point that you know that that's what happened and it cannot ever happen again you know i think that can be maybe some of the worry or concern with certain types of identity politics mm. that we would just want 
brown statues of brown people mm-hmm. or and maybe that's like the di- the distinction between having like a diverse curriculum mm-hmm. and an anti-racist curriculum so like just that because you have or you're teaching black and brown people doesn't necessarily mean that it's exactly. um, it's it moves away from that um white eurocentric thing of having icons mm-hmm. and particular people that we look up to it's weird though because i don't know if i agree I, I love what you're saying but then i'm thinking at the same time like when black panther came out mm-hmm. For me, that was huge. And mm-hmm. I really felt mm-hmm. there needed to be that representation. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think know. it's either or as well. I'm not mm. very purist in that sense. It's just yeah. the consideration that when when we do that, we also have to be critical and, mm-hmm. and hold that in mind. I just, but I totally think that representation is important. Yeah, representation is important, but not in the sense that it needs to be <coughs> in a statue form. Mm. Because what if it was in some things that we see more every day but like obviously like tv for example and movies you know more positive you know representations of countries that we don't normally see mm-hmm. or people that we don't normally see you yeah, know that great um campaign i forget what their name was where they redid famous hollywood posters mm-hmm. to feature like oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Like Harry Potter. Potter. Oh, yeah. yeah. what was it called legally legally uh, black yeah <laughs> 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 i think it was a hashtag as well okay yeah. Yeah. And I, I like what you're saying Didier, about also the um i think we can't ever forget like what gets left out because it's that conversation even we do have more representation of our people but it's still the palatable or it's still Mm. the middle class or it's Mm. still particular um and i think to always like be able to um yeah um have that attention to what is left out and what can't be visible and actually some things won't be able to be visible existing under power like Mm. And I think that's maybe that's what we need to open up our lens to. Certain things just it's not safe to be visible right now. And what does it mean when we're so preoccupied with this selfie gaze world? Um, so yeah. Also, how will your story be told after that? So the statue go up, and then maybe you're in books, and like the way that that story is told, or what parts of your story, and how they're manipulated exactly. for good and also for bad. Yeah. Like different people will read it differently. See, exactly, we see agenda. things like that happen every day as well in history books and the textbooks, and it's like that didn't really happen. Yeah. So, what are your hopes for the future? Uh, we unlearn biased and hurtful opinions of others. And relearn, you know, you know that things are things. It is what it is, but you know, we as a people can change it. You know, valuing others as well, I think, is a big one. And then after that, it's all easy. It's just trustful and everything. People of color experiencing joy, mm-hmm. but not um, not being led to forget, like. Sufferings in the past, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that joy maybe being able to like show up as like our most authentic self without risk or like violence, but, like mm-hmm. just being mm-hmm. who we are and that mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. compromising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's call it sustainable joy. Sustainable joy. Maybe that's the name of this podcast. (laughs) You have been listening to the Civil Society Futures podcast. To hear more episodes like this, you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Search Civil Society Futures. You can find out more about the inquiry at www.civilsocietyfutures.org. 
and follow us on Twitter at SibSockFutures. <laughs>